0: good to see everyone this morning. Um, so if I was to um, start a, a song, so this is risky, right? Maybe I want to say, dun, 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 dun. Mission Impossible, right? Does that just get you going? How many of you, uh, I won't ask how many of you re- remember the TV show. I do, so that's probably about the dividing line, yeah. Um, but the movies, uh, there's something about that show, right? It gets you going. Just once at the beginning where they have the opening thing and you see where the, the crime or whatever is happening and they get the little tape or the little message, the glasses or whatever, it says, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. Just once, don't you want them to say no? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. That one looks too hard. That, um, I mean, you wouldn't have a TV show, right? So we expect them to say yes, and then they're out. we're on mission. We're going to fulfill this mission. We're going to make this happen. And, and there's just something about it that we are mission-oriented people, especially as I know a lot of you men are like, you, you get excited about mission. You get excited about accomplishing something. And that's how God has made us. And that's how we can often accomplish something so much bigger than ourselves, because God gets involved and does a work. You know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, I'm not sure the exact time frame, people stood in this lot that we are sitting in right now. And they looked around and said, God might want to put a church here. God might want to put in a church building. And we have pictures of people on top of these these glue lambs putting them up and putting the beams up. Just crazy. I don't know why you'd be up there with no roof. but um, and And people from village were part of putting this up. Because someone said, you know what? I think God could do this. And then in the 70s or so, someone again said that about our gymnasium. And instead of hiring you know, just strangers to do it, people from Village came together and built that gym. Something that was the mission that they felt they could accomplish to increase God's work here. But, but God wanted to do a work here on Buaro and Garden Grove. And He called the church to to build these buildings. He has called us as a church to our commitment to missions. We saw that last week with the flags and, and with the missionaries. And I am amazed at this church's commitment to mission and to missions, the mission of sending the gospel out to the ends of the earth. And all of these things should get us going as a church, should get us excited. How is God going to accomplish this? What is he going to do through this little band of believers on Buaro Street? How is he going to affect the world? And and I don't know if you saw it as you, as you thought through all our missionaries last week, or if you go by the bulletin board in the hallway of the gym, you see a, a whole wall of missionaries that we support and that we have commissioned, that we have sent out for the sake of the name, for the sake of the gospel. And so we come to our text today, and it's perfect timing after missions week. And and I want us to think of the text today in terms of missions. And how do we as a church support well? And how do we as a church accomplish the task of missions? And really, it is sort of mission impossible. Because God, as we sang today, the King of Kings song I love because it ties Jesus' death The resurrection to the founding of the church and it says that lit a flame the spark lit a flame and that flame was to spread throughout the whole world but think about how crazy this idea is that God had he said let's take 12 guys and let's give the message to 12 guys and those 12 guys are going to change the world That, that's crazy. That doesn't, there wasn't even YouTube to be an influencer on back then. They had to change the world person by person, city by city, and see what happened with the gospel. And it is like a flame. They lit a flame in this town, and they lit a flame in this town, and the fire started in this town, and it spread, and we are here today, worshiping Jesus Christ. We're here today as His church, tasked with the same mission. And so we come to that today and say, how can we do this well? How can we send well? How can we go well? Henry Martin is a missionary to India and Persia. He once said, the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we must become. Let me repeat this quote. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to Him the more intensely missionary we must become. Really, if you had to distill that down, we'd say churches that have a heart for Jesus have a heart for missions. You can't get around it. Churches that have a heart for Jesus, that are close to Jesus, have a heart for mission. The more we love Jesus, the more we want others to love Him and to know Him and to experience the joy of our salvation because we want others to be adopted into the family. John Piper had a famous quote. He said, missions exist because worship doesn't. And the point of that quote was, because worship doesn't exist throughout the whole world yet, we're still trying to tell people about Jesus. Because people still don't know who Jesus is and are still facing a lost eternity without Him, we want people to know about Jesus. And that is why missions partnerships are so important to us. That is why as a church, missions is so important to us Because it is to Jesus. Because it's the work that Jesus handed off to the church. And again, sort of linking together everything in Acts. In Acts 1, we said that Acts is part 2, right? Episode 2 of Luke-Acts. And Luke was the work of Christ. And Acts was Jesus handing off His work to the church. And the church continuing it. There is no way that that can't happen without missions. Without going and without sending. And so we come today to see the first missionaries of the church. We see the first missions program, and it doesn't even look like a committee that met for a year. It is an organic work, and I'm not I'm not bagging on committees because we have a lot of missionaries in our missions team. It's not a committee. Our team does a great job of that, but they went out and they did it, and they got going, and they did the work of Christ. In the last couple chapters, we've seen the church planted in Antioch in, in this Gentile town. And, and Antioch is now going to become the hub of missions activity. God's work is growing. Two weeks ago when we talked, we saw Satan try to stop that work. James is killed. Peter is imprisoned and is the night before his death. And, and God rescues him. And he walks out with doors automatically opening in front of him because the church prays. And the work is not stopped the work expanded. And at the end of Acts 12, the text we read, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. They returned to Antioch from Jerusalem. When they had completed their service, they had been taking a donation and some help for those in need, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And that sets the stage for Acts chapter 13. So turn with me there to Acts chapter 13 and let's look at the first missionaries. Let's look at the first missions program and what they did. Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we'd love for you to take a black one out from under a seat around you. And if you don't have one at home, please take that with you as our gift to you and have God's Word. But we want to see God's call to mission. And in this text, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit calls the church to send out witnesses to reach a lost world for Christ. And the church obeys His call. The Holy Spirit calls the church to send out witnesses to reach a lost world for Christ, and they obey His call. It's a call to missions directly started by the Holy Spirit and guided by the Holy Spirit. And as we've already looked at some of the quotes, and as we think it through, a healthy church obeys God's call to send and go. Now, oftentimes with missions, we think primarily of going, right? How many of you have ever been on some sort of mission Trip. Okay, I'm looking at probably sixty two thirds of us have been on some sort of missions trip. How many of you have ever encouraged a missionary in some way, online, a letter, somehow? Okay, so maybe uh, that actually was about two thirds or more. That's awesome. Um, how many of you have ever supported missionaries financially in some way, either church or pre- that's like ninety percent. Village, all of those things. Our missions. All of those things are partnering in missions. And so this morning, we're going to talk about sending. And we're going to talk about going. And all of those things are partnering in missions. And that is a testimony to you all as the body of Christ and your heart for missions. Your heart to continue the work of Jesus Christ. And so we, we talk about mission. And John Piper also had the quote that we either go, send, or disobey. And there's a lot of truth to that. And because if we're if we're doing the Great Commission, if we're doing what God has asked us to do, we're going to be involved in missions in some way. There's no way around that. But that is sending sometimes. That's supporting sometimes. And sometimes it's going. I can just picture after today's day's message that you're some of you whose wives are on retreat, they get home and you say, You know what? We're going out on the missions field. (laughs) Just see what happens. Just um but some of us need to go. Some of us are called to go. And so in Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at two sections. We're going to look at the first three verses and then 4 through 12. And, and 1 through 3 is about sending and sending well. And 4 through 12, we're going to get to see the first people that went, Paul and Barnabas, when they went. And so point number one in your notes is spiritually healthy churches have a heart to send and support missionaries. Spiritually healthy churches have a heart to send and to support missionaries. Sending is the call to equip, to send, to financially support, to emotionally support missionaries, to equip them for the task. And so we come to this text. I want to read verses 1 through 3 and then we'll we'll have some observations about sending well. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas Sinimean, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And we see the first commissioning of missionaries in the church. The first sending of missionaries and it's a fascinating story because it starts by saying there's these five men that are in leadership it looks like of the church prophets and teachers and so they are expounding on God's work to the church prophecy remember doesn't always mean foretelling it can mean forthtelling or sharing how God's word applies to a congregation to specific things in society or specific things we're facing and that's probably how the word prophets is used here. Sort of like the gift of prophecy where it was it was bringing God's word to bear on life. And so this was something that these men were doing. One author said the, the prophecy used here is speaking an inspired word from God for the edification and direction of the community. And so it is, it is coming usually to God's word saying this is how God's word applies to us. This is right. This is wrong. And so God has continued to give that type of gift to the church. This is not like the gift of of prophecy in the Old Testament where they were speaking God's the the inspired Word of God, the the actual written Word of God that we have. And they were directly hearing from God and passing it on. This is a a sense of teaching that applies God's Word directly, which we have now in its complete sense were in complete written form applying that to our lives. And so it's applied to specific situations. In this case, the prophecy and teaching isn't that different. There can, it looks like these men somehow embodied both of those. But we have this situation where we have five leaders in the church, five men in the church. Somehow God has put on the church this, this call for missions, this heart for missions, and they are about to choose or to allow the Holy Spirit to choose who goes out. And Barnabas and Saul were chosen and were sent out. And so just a couple of observations about sending. First is God chose from those faithfully serving already. God chose from those faithfully serving already. God tends to give expanded ministry and gives more ministry tasks to those who have proven faithful already. And so the idea isn't that we can just sit and say, you know what? I am going to wait, I'm going to wait on my couch for God to give me some incredible work for him that is going to change the world. And maybe he'll do that, but what God calls us to do is already be serving in our local church, already be serving and and sharing the gospel with people, already be discipling. And those are the people that God chooses. The people that are already faithful to God's work. And so in this case, there was these five men, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menae, and and Saul. And these are all men that are faithfully serving God's Word, applying God's Word to the church. And so the Spirit is going to call them to expanded ministry. This is sort of the um, candidates for the missions trip, for the mission impossible, so to speak. And so one of the things we get right from there is we're to be serving well where we're at. If you are waiting to serve God until a set of experiences is happening, we're doing it wrong. Because God wants us to serve right where we're at and find ways to make a difference for Him right where we're at. Serve well where you are and see what God will do. If you have a heart for additional ministry, start by being faithful in the ministry you're in. And then see what God brings. And so we see that God calls those already serving to missions. If we want to expand missions, we need to be serving where we're at and then see what great mission God sends us on, so to speak. Second observation, diversity in the church is a helpful foundation for missions. It's an amazing foundation for missions. These five men, think about them for a minute. Barnabas. We've already encountered Barnabas, right? In Acts, several times. Man of God, um, sold some property, gave that to the church to meet needs. He's a leader in the church, already helping Saul with that, um, and 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 really a solid foundation. He's a Levite, a Jew, and he's from Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, which we're going to see in our text today. And so that's that's one man. Second man, Simeon. It's a Jewish name, but he's from Niger. He's from North Africa, probably. And so that's Latin for black. So he was a dark-skinned man. So we have we have a Jew. We have someone from North Africa. Um, for the next one, Cyrene, um, Lucius of Cyrene, also North Africa. And so we have already culturally a couple of, of different people. Then let's throw into the mix Menean. a. the ESV says a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. It actually is a word that means to bring up together to have the same nursemaid. And so most would say this really means he was the foster brother of Herod Antipas. Grew up in the court, in, in, in royalty, in regalness. Herod Antipas, by the way, is the Herod that killed John the Baptist. So, so we have already very different cultures coming together. Very different economic status. Then we add Saul in there, right? A Pharisee of Pharisees. Pharisees did not always get along with some of these other people the other people did not always get along with Pharisees these were the five men that were leading the church different countries different cultures different backgrounds and it was beautiful and God used that as a foundation that this church would be the sending hub for world missions oh that's perfect And so diversity in the church is a helpful, it's an amazing foundation for missions. We should embrace it. We should seek after it. We should find ways to have a lot of different experiences in our church and a lot of different backgrounds and learn about those and enjoy those and work together to reach more in this world for Jesus Christ. That's what this early church was doing. Third observation about sending well. Look at what they were doing when the Spirit called. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And fasting here includes dedicated prayer. In fact, that's probably the, the sense. This is dedicated prayer where they were giving up food and the preparation of food and, and some of those things so they could be dedicated to prayer. So the third observation is worshiping together and dedicated prayer for God's guidance. That's what opened the door to hear the Spirit's call. Worshiping together and de- dedicated prayer for God's guidance opened the door to hear the Spirit's call. And, and, and so this church was faithfully serving. They were faithfully worshiping. And, and a couple of things there, this is, this is then the church that is making the call. The Holy Spirit speaks to the church. When it says they at the beginning of two, there, there's some debate of what that refers to but that most likely refers to the whole church body. While the church body was worshiping the Lord, while the church body was fasting and dedicated prayer, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. This isn't the first time in Acts that the church body has made important decisions, right? Again, this gets back to why we we make important decisions as a body because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. In Acts chapter 1, Matthias was chosen by the church body. In Acts chapter 6, the, the, the men that were proto-deacons or the early ones that were helping the widow issue, chosen by the church body. And in this case, the body is participating as a whole. Not just in the choosing, oh, I get to vote for someone, but in the preparation for choosing, worship and prayer. And so God uses us, village, when we dedicate ourselves to worship, when we dedicate ourselves to prayer. And Satan will attack those two things. He will attack worship and our, our feelings of coming together and whether or not we have different preferences. Satan will use that to divide worship to keep our eyes off Christ. To keep our eyes off the glory of God. He will, he will distract us from prayer and make dedicated prayer hard to keep us from hearing the call of the Lord. But this church was worshiping and fasting with prayer. Intense Dedicated prayer. Interestingly enough, there's several words for worship. The word for worship here is a little different. It has the idea of serving and of public service. So doing something with your faith. Worshiping Jesus by doing something and putting feet to the faith. But then the fasting there, the intense dedicated prayer, the church was looking for God to do something. So so they they... What, what, what it looks like and what we can construct, is it looks like they had this sense that the Holy Spirit was calling for something. They weren't quite sure what it was, and so they're like, we need to be praying. Let's fast. Let's dedicate ourselves to prayer and let's see what God wants for our church. It's, it's a similar concept to what happened with Nehemiah as he was waiting for the Lord. In chapter 1, if you remember Nehemiah, he hears about the state of the walls in Jerusalem. They're a mess. His very next thing is he starts fasting and in a dedicated prayer... Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Instead of saying, this is what I'm going to do, his first thing was, okay, God, what do you want me to do? That's what this church was doing. They were looking, they they knew God had called them to the ends of the earth, Acts 1-8. And so they were looking, how do we do this? How do we reach the ends of the world? How do we do mission impossible here? We're just a little church. How can we do this? And so they prayed and God answered. I think the fasting also is a statement of priorities of prayer. Priorities of seeking God's guidance. They were willing to set aside some of the normal daily activities and make a priority of hearing God. They were willing to be hangry to hear from God. We aren't always. We aren't always that way. But a praying and a worshiping church are are a powerful tool in God's hands. A praying in a worshiping church will almost always become a witnessing church. We can't help it. Because God uses us when we're at that point in time. In that kind of attitude. And so then the Holy Spirit calls out the two, right? He calls out Saul and Barnabas. Says, set them apart for this. Dedicate them to this purpose. Separate them out. Now this call was serious. This call was life-changing. And these were leaders in the church. And God is saying, take two of your key leaders, maybe your best two leaders, and send them out. And you guys will still be okay. And so this is the pattern of the church. We train up. We, we see God's heart and we go. We send out Fred Zacinda. Fred was one of our elders. He was teaching Sunday school. And it was a loss for us. But it was a gain for the kingdom. It was a gain for Christ. And they're one of the missionaries we support now in Indicott, And we can go through this over and over, and that's what the, that's what God asked them to do. Take your best and send them off. And so the church had a choice there. Actually, Paul and Barnabas had a choice too. <laughs> do Do they go? Because this is going to change their lives completely. And so this is the first church really to catch world missions. And it was the start of something incredible. Fourth observation of, of sending and sending well here is verse three, how they sent them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And it's a short verse. So many in this text today are just short little statements, but they mean so much. Paul and Barnabas point or the the fourth bullet point, Paul and Barnabas were sent off and supported well through fasting, prayer, and commissioning. Paul and Barnabas were sent off and supported well through fasting, prayer, and commissioning. So we, we see the church obeyed. Again, this was a healthy church. We've already seen they have faithful leaders. They, they're multi-ethnic. They are worshiping with sincere hearts. They're dedicated to prayer. They're listening to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to His leading. They're obeying the Spirit. Now that's a cool church. I don't want to go there. I do go there. This is awesome. And so there, this is a healthy church. And in the middle of this, God calls these two to ministry. And they obey. And they send them off well. That dedication to prayer is, is huge and part of it. And so some of the ways that they send them off. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands. So the, the, the laying on of hands. Let's talk about that for a moment. This has the idea of tangible support. Now, sometimes when we pray for people, we lay lay a hand on them, right? Now that represents something. That's not just, oh, I need to touch them. And it's not magical like oh something from my body is going, woo. No, that's not what this is about. When you lay your hands on someone to send them out, that is a statement of support. And it is a statement of identifying with them. It's a statement of commissioning them. And so it's saying in identification, you are not alone. You go out, but you go out with us. We go out with you. You are our hands and feet. It is blessing and supporting the work. And so how do we support? How do we meet needs? Because also laying of hands on and commissioning someone to go, it is implicit in that that we are going to do everything you need to go. We are going to make it possible for you to go. And so that's where we get this idea of equipping and support and meeting needs. 3 John 5-8, through which we view, I think you heard Pastor Andrew read that last week or the week before. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. And then catch this. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And that is such a loaded phrase that says, send them well, send them worthy of God, like God would send them. And, and in, in, in that is meeting their needs, making sure they had enough money to make it on the trip, making sure that they had enough resources to make it to the next church. It's very practical. Give them what they need. Give them food if they're going through the desert and water. Give them enough for the journey. And so there's a, there's a physical sense of meeting needs here, a practical sense But then there's also an an emotional sense of how do we encourage? And the verse goes on, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that they may be fellow workers for the truth. So we support tangibly, but we also support emotionally and with encouragement. The laying on of hands says, we believe God has called you to do this, and so we're going to be part of it. And it's a personal involvement beyond money. It's why we have cards in the gym today. To say, we love you guys. As you sign those cards, it's in a way re- re-putting our hands on them and recommissioning them. And saying, we still are sending you out. You're still our hands and feet. We still remember you. We do this with prayer. We do this with emails, with Facebook, with visits, with Zoom calls like last week. That was wonderful. It's about partnership. That's what that phrase, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. That's why that is so loaded with meaning. It's equipping. And also, as we said, they fasted and prayed before they sent them out. And so this wasn't just a light. I'm going to pray for you once. You're good. Let me know in five years when you're on furlough how you're doing. No, when you, when you fast and pray, that is a dedicated prayer. It lets us, the fasting sort of is the descriptive of what kind of prayer it is. It's praying for them. It's praying for the work. And in this case, Paul and Barnabas for the work. It's praying that they will arrive safely at their next destination, which for us, it's not that big of a deal for them getting on a ship at any time of the year was a dangerous thing as we know by Paul's life. It's praying for open hearts that God will go before and open the door for the work. It's praying for them above personal comfort, which is what the fasting comes into play with. And so a church that sins well is dedicated to supporting missionaries, to praying for their missionaries because we are really part of the work. And not just an extra part of the work. Paul over and over asks for prayer. For ministry. Just like Jim did this morning in front of us. He said, I need prayer to reach my boss. Paul says this all the time. And also for me, that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel. That's in Ephesians and Colossians. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. First Thessalonians. Brothers, pray for us. Second Thessalonians. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And we see prayer for them and we see prayer for open doors for for the Word. And so when you're looking at our missionaries, pray for those open doors. When you think of Tim and Kirsten, pray for open doors in North Africa and inroads into the Muslim community. When you pray for Mario and Lancy, pray for Portugal, pray for Lisbon. When you pray for Selvin and Lori, pray for Guatemala and Guatemala City and the Bible College there. Pray that hearts would be changed. That is how we sinned well. We sinned by praying, supporting, and encouraging. That is partnership and missions. Then we get to 4 through 12 and we get to see the first missions trip. And and it's just, it's just sort of fun. And I'll read it again and then we'll look at some observations. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, so the same person as Bar-Jesus, but he's also called Elymas, he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. It's okay to say that. He said that. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so yes, churches that are are close to Jesus have a heart for missions, but they not only sinned, but they're willing to go as God directs. And, And so we see that we're to encourage people to sacrificially respond to God's call with a willingness to go. That's part of being healthy. And so the going is obeying that call to go. Obeying the call to take the good news of Jesus Christ to those that don't know Him. And Saul and Barnabas are in that position. This is tied to a heart of sending. Some have to be sent. It's really hard to send if no one goes. Obvious statement of the day, right? And so both are, are, are essential in a healthy spiritual church. And so we get to the beginning of this first missions trip. And, and, um, I just told the whole story. They go to Cyprus and, and we'll get to where that is in a moment. And they start preaching the word. They get to the capital and, and the, the, the governor of the capital wants to hear the gospel and they encounter this resistance from the sorcerer. Should remind us of Simon earlier, um, in Acts. But a couple of observations just about going. First is Paul and Barnabas start close to home as the first Spirit first sends them to familiar Cyprus. Paul and Barnabas start close to home as the Spirit first sends them to familiar Cyprus. And the call to us is to start now in normal life. And so we see in 4 and 5, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And so we, it helps to see this on a map. If we look, they're in Antioch here, and they go to Seleucia, and that's only maybe 10 miles or so. They come there, and then they sail down to Cyprus. And Cyprus is the closest island to where they're at. And this, it's interesting because different commentaries had different um, distances for that. But the average was about 75 miles. This is not far away. This is closer than San Diego to us. Okay. So they're starting on this grand missions trip to reach the world for Christ and the Holy Spirit says, go to Cyprus. Wait, 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 no, no, that's home. This is where Barnabas is from. This is familiar. But the Holy Spirit in God's divine direction says, this is where I want you to start. And so many times God does that. He wants us to start close to home. He wants us to start in the familiar because if we can't share the gospel in the familiar... We aren't ready to share the gospel to the world. And so he says, let's go to Cyprus. There already were Jews that had scattered to Cyprus. Um, this is, this is just not far away. A couple of just dimensions. It's about 138 miles this way and at its widest point about 60, 50, 60 miles that way. It's not a huge place, but there were several cities there and those cities needed Jesus. Cyprus was a very diverse um, island. It was annexed by the Romans, but it was colonized by Greece and had a large Jewish population from the scattering. So it had some of everyone in it, right? Famous for copper mines. um, Just a a really interesting place to, to live. A very diverse place to live. But those ones from the church that were scattered there were already planting seeds of the gospel there. And so God wanted to water those seeds. He wanted to raise a church up in Cyprus that could then help others hear the Gospel. And so He sent them close. And ours is not to question where God sends us. Ours is to be faithful where God sends us. He sent them to Cyprus and they went. This was the Holy Spirit's plan. He is the one guiding. And we see from that verse, in verse 3, they arrived at Salamis, and so they'll, they'll start here, because it's the closest one, very practical. They start at this port, and then we're going to see them. They go throughout Cyprus, and they end up at Paphos over here. Paphos is the, the um, essentially the capital that we would call it today of, of Cyprus. It was the seat of government of Cyprus. And so they're going to, to head and probably hit some towns along the way. You see the pattern in in verse 5, though. He proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Just little fun things. Synagogue, singular or plural? Plural, right? It just lets us know there were a lot of Jews there. Because if there were very few Jews there, they would have had one synagogue. The more you have, the more synagogues you have. But Paul's pattern was he'd come to a place, he'd start with the synagogues. And we think that's because he's honoring Romans 1.16 to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But also that's where God-fearing Gentiles would be too. They'd be hanging out there to try to hear about who God is. And so he starts with the synagogues and then he goes out to the rest. And this is a pattern that we'll see over and over in Paul's, in Paul's journey. But the reminder of this observation, like I said, is to start at home, to start sharing the gospel at home. If you think God is calling you to missions, ask yourself how much missions you're doing here. We have people in Orange County that need Jesus. And getting more so, it feels like. We have people that need God. And so, if we're faithful here, then God can call us elsewhere. You know, in, in the same way, we talk about if you want to be an elder or a pastor, we always say, who's already shepherding? Who's already making disciples? And so this goes back to, to the point of, of the, the first observation of the first point, God calls the faithful. And so they went close to home. Another part of Paul's strategy, and this is just sort of a quick point, he usually went with a team. He usually went with a team. Do you catch who's with him here? It's Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. He starts out with them. And so John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. In fact, they, they were in John Mark's mom's house. Peter was, Mary. Um, and p- because John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, he probably knew people in Cyprus too. So this makes a lot of sense. But again, it's a reminder, in, in, in your those of you in community groups, we read a lot of verses about team. We heard Pastor Andrew talk about team last week. Paul was so diligent to make sure he brought people along. In this case, he brought even John Mark along, who was young, young in the faith, and it didn't work out. Short term. We're going to find that out next week. But he still brought them and he's still discipling. He's still pouring into them. And so when we think of ministry, don't go it alone. Always be thinking, who can join me? Who, who, who can I join? How can we do this together? And we're going to see that again throughout Paul's missionary journeys. There's always a team. Then we get to verses 6 through 8. Next observation, opposition to God's work is to be expected. If we're going, whether here or or away from here, whether it's San Diego or whether it's another country, opposition to God's work is to be expected. Be His messengers anyway. Don't let that stop you. And here in this story, we see Satan opposing again and God miraculously turning the opposition to draw people to himself. And and so it doesn't matter what Satan tries, God turns it. In verse 6, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, so now we're to the other side of the island, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. The word for Bar there usually means son of. And so his name was son of Jesus or son of Joshua depending on how you translate it son of of salvation one of who saves really ironic name for a sorcerer okay he he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus and the proconsul Sergius Paulus this is the who the this is the Roman governor that was appointed by the Roman Senate for this province And it was not uncommon at the time for someone in leadership to have sort of a spiritual advisor. And we think, oh, a Christian advisor. No, no, Uh, like a sorcerer, someone that was in in touch with the spirit world that could give you advice. And that looks like what's happening here, much like Simon the sorcerer was in Samaria that we mentioned. And and so he's with Sergius, Sergius Paulus, has his ear, he's a man and sergius paulus the the proconsul is a man of intelligence he's seeking he summons barnabas and saul to hear the word of god but in verse 8 elimas the magician for that's the meaning of his name it means magician opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith and so you have this leader who's seeking jesus and he's like I want to hear from Barnabas and Saul. And Elemas is over here saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And it's like those cartoons where you have the little guys on the shoulders. He's like, no, 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 they, they are evil. I'm sure that they're, they're going to turn you away. What's he really concerned about probably? His, his own position, power, his money. He loses everything if, if the proconsul becomes a believer. And so he is manipulating and Satan is using this to try to stop the gospel. <laughs> doesn't work. And so we go on to 9. And the, the, the fourth observation of going, the Holy Spirit helps his servants confront and overcome opposition. The Holy Spirit helps his servants confront and overcome opposition. Don't let fear stop you from starting missions now. Don't let fear stop you. And so we, we get to see what happens with the confrontation. But Saul, who was also called Paul, and you've heard me struggling with, do I call him Saul or Paul? All through Acts so far. Yes. So here's the thing. Sometimes we can think that God changed Saul's name to Paul. He's done that in the Old Testament. That's not what's happened here. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Roman name. And this was common. So after this, he's still Saul. And the whole time he's been Paul. But up until this point, the context has primarily been Jewish circles and he uses his Jewish name, Saul. From here on in Acts, he's going to use Paul because now this is to the ends of the world and primarily a Gentile or Roman context. And so this is the first time that Luke explains, oh, by the way, I'm going to start calling him Paul now because that's what we called him now when we went out to, to those that were Gentiles when we out, went out throughout the, the empire. And so that's, that's a little bit of what's happening. Just a little side thing. Saulus also, um, the word Saul in Greek meant the loose wanton gate of courtesans or batch, bachantes, loose women. And I don't think Saul necessarily wanted to be called that as he went to minister in Greek, but Paulus means little or humble. And so he chose to use the name Paul as he continued his ministry to not be a stumbling block. And listen to his reaction. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. Play on words. What is his name? Son of Son of Jesus? Paul's like, nope, that's not your name. That's not who you are. You're the son of the devil. An enemy of righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you will not stop making crooked the, the straight paths of the Lord. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. This is a, a, this is a direct confrontation. It's a strong reaction because this was a matter of eternity. This was a matter of someone's soul. This is not saying that this should be our reaction to everyone that disagrees with us. When someone disagrees with you on Facebook this week, don't start by saying, You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness. It's not going to win you a Facebook argument. Nothing's going to win you a Facebook. But that's a whole different discussion. This was a matter of someone's soul. This was a matter of confronting an agent of Satan that was deceiving someone and trying to keep him from hearing the word of God. And so Paul responds accordingly. And he calls them out he says, no, no, Elemas, you're a son of a devil. You are working against God. And then God's hand comes and strikes him blind, unable to see for a time. The similarities to Paul's conversion are really interesting because then Paul repented and came to the Lord and became an agent of the Lord. We have no such indication of this man. They made different choices for where to go. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. God helps his servants over, confront and overcome opposition. Because this was directly by the Holy Spirit's leading. The discernment to see who he really was was from the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit to stop him was on display. And God won. And, and just in terms of practical sense, it's a reminder, don't let fear stop you from missions. Don't let fear stop of, of financial situations stop you from supporting missions. Don't let fear of safety stop you from going to Rancho Santa Marta. Our God is bigger than all that. All of that. Don't let fear stop you. Last observation as we close. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. Amen. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And the last observation there, the proconsul believed, showing that God's work bears God's fruit in his time. So the call to us, serve faithfully, don't give up. Because God's work bears God's fruit in his time. God miraculously stops Elymas. The proconsul believes. He's astounded. I love that he's astounded both by God's work, but His Word. That's very, that's that's a very important um, phrase there that makes us really think this was a genuine conversion. God's word is powerful. Romans 1.16 that I referred to earlier says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So earlier in the book, we've seen a centurion come to Christ. Now we see a proconsul, a governor come to Christ. It's because of the power of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of God's word. Let's continue to be a church that sins well and is willing to go as God directs. Some of you sitting here might be called to the missions field. And we will agonize at you leaving, but we will gladly send you out. Because this is for the sake of the name, not Village Bible Church. This is for the sake of growing the kingdom of God. Let's be a church that continues to be dedicated to missions. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. For the story of the first missionaries, the first sending church, how they sent well, how these missionaries went well and trusted You and went in Your power and didn't let things stop them. Lord, as in... in the next section of Acts we study as we continue to study about the the missionary journeys, may we be inspired and amazed and may we see the threads that link us to the same mission, to the same task. And that it's not mission impossible, but Lord, this is a mission that You have given and are equipping and are empowering. Lord, help us to keep main things the main thing and to reach a lost world for You. In Your name.